Part Four, Chapter One of A Key to Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jim Nienaber. Chapter One: The Influence of the American Church on Slavery, Part One. There is no country in the world where the religious influence has a greater ascendancy than in America. There is no country where the clergy are more powerful. This is the more remarkable, because in America religion is entirely divorced from the state, and the clergy have none of those artificial means for supporting their influence which result from rank and wealth. Taken as a body of men, the American clergy are generally poor. The salaries given to them afford only a bare support, and yield them no means of acquiring property. Their style of living can be barely decent and respectable, and no more. The fact that, under these circumstances, the American clergy are probably the most powerful body of men in the country, is of itself a strong presumptive argument in their favor. It certainly argues in them, as a class, both intellectual and moral superiority. It is a well-known fact that the influence of the clergy is looked upon by our statesmen as the most serious element in making up their political combinations, and that that influence is so great that no statesman would ever undertake to carry a measure against which all the clergy of the country should unite. Such a degree of power, though it be only a power of opinion, argument, and example, is not without its dangers to the purity of any body of men. To be courted by political partisans is always a dangerous thing for the integrity and spirituality of men who profess to be governed by principles which are not of this world. The possession, too, of so great a power as we have described involves a most weighty responsibility, since if the clergy do possess the power to rectify any great national immorality, the fact of its not being done seems in some sort to bring the sin of omission to their door. We have spoken thus far of the clergy alone, but in America, where the clergyman is, in most denominations, elected by the church and supported by its voluntary contributions, the influence of the church and that of the clergy are, to a very great extent, identical. The clergyman is the very ideal and expression of the church. They choose him and retain him because he expresses more perfectly than any other man they can obtain their ideas of truth and right. The clergyman is supported, in all cases, by his church, or else he cannot retain his position in it. The fact of his remaining there is generally proof of identity of opinion, since if he differed very materially from them, they have the power to withdraw from him and choose another. The influence of a clergyman thus retained by the free consent of the understanding and heart of his church is in some respects greater even than that of a papal priest. The priest can control only by a blind spiritual authority, to which, very often, the reason demurs, while it yields an outward assent. But the successful free minister takes captive the affections of the heart by his affections, overrules the reasoning powers by superior strength of reason, and thus, availing himself of affection, reason, conscience, and the entire man, possesses a power, from the very freedom of the organization, greater than can ever result from blind spiritual despotism. 
if a minister cannot succeed in doing this to some good extent in a church he is called unsuccessful and he who realizes this description most perfectly has the highest and most perfect kind of power and expresses the idea of a successful american minister in speaking therefore of this subject we shall speak of the church and the clergy as identical using the word church in the american sense of the word for that class of men of all denominations who are organized in bodies distinct from nominal christians as professing to be actually controlled by the precepts of christ what then is the influence of the church on this great question of slavery certain things are evident on the very face of the matter one it has not put an end to it two it has not prevented the increase of it three it has not occasioned the repeal of the laws which forbid education to the slave four it has not attempted to have laws passed forbidding the separation of families and legalizing the marriage of slaves five it has not stopped the internal slave trade six it has not prevented the extension of this system with all its wrongs over new territories with regard to these assertions it is presumed there can be no difference of opinion what then have they done in reply to this it can be stated one that almost every one of the leading denominations have at some time in their collective capacity expressed a decided disapprobation of the system and recommended that something should be done with a view to its abolition two one denomination of christians has pursued such a course as entirely and in fact to free every one of its members from any participation in slaveholding we refer to the quakers the course by which this result has been effected will be shown by a pamphlet soon to be issued by the poet j g whittier one of their own body three individual members in all denominations animated by the spirit of christianity have in various ways entered their protest against it it will be well now to consider more definitely and minutely the sentiments which some leading ecclesiastical bodies in the church have expressed on this subject it is fair that the writer should state the sources from which the quotations are drawn those relating to the action of southern judicatories are principally from a pamphlet compiled by the hon james g burney and entitled quote, the church the bulwark of slavery end quote. the writer addressed a letter to mr burney in which she inquired the sources from which he compiled his reply was in substance as follows that the pamphlet was compiled from original documents or files of newspapers which had recorded these transactions at the time of their occurrence it was compiled and published in england in eighteen forty two with a view of leading the people there to understand the position of the american church and clergy mr burney says that although the statements have long been before the world he has never known one of them to be disputed that knowing the extraordinary nature of the sentiments he took the utmost pains to authenticate them we will first present those of the southern states one the presbyterian church harmony presbytery of south carolina whereas sundry persons in scotland and england and others in the north east and west of our country have denounced slavery as obnoxious to the laws of god some of whom have presented before the general assembly of our church and the congress of the nation 
memorials and petitions with the avowed object of bringing into disgrace slaveholders and abolishing the relation of master and slave and whereas from the said proceedings and the statements reasonings and circumstances connected therewith it is most manifest that those persons quote, know not what they say nor whereof they affirm end quote, and with this ignorance discover a spirit of self-righteousness and exclusive sanctity etc therefore one resolved that as the kingdom of our lord is not of this world his church as such has no right to abolish alter or affect any institution or ordinance of men political or civil etc two resolved that slavery has existed from the days of those good old slaveholders and patriarchs abraham isaac and jacob who are now in the kingdom of heaven to the time when the apostle paul sent a runaway home to his master philemon and wrote a christian and fraternal letter to this slaveholder which we find still stands in the canon of the scriptures and that slavery has existed ever since the days of the apostle and does now exist three resolved that as the relative duties of master and slave are taught in the scriptures in the same manner as those of parent and child and husband and wife the existence of slavery itself is not opposed to the will of god and whosoever has a conscience too tender to recognize this relation as lawful is quote, righteous overmuch is quote, wise above what is written end quote, and has submitted his neck to the yoke of men sacrificed his christian liberty of conscience and leaves the infallible word of god for the fancies and doctrines of men the charleston union presbytery it is a principle which meets the views of this body that slavery as it exists among us is a political institution with which ecclesiastical judicatories have not the smallest right to interfere and in relation to which any such interference especially at the present momentous crisis would be morally wrong and fraught with the most dangerous and pernicious consequences the sentiments which we maintain in common with christians at the south of every denomination are sentiments which so fully approve themselves to our consciences are so identified with our solemn convictions of duty that we should maintain them under any circumstances resolved that in the opinion of this presbytery the holding of slaves so far from being a sin in the sight of god is nowhere condemned in his holy word that it is in accordance with the example or consistent with the precepts of patriarchs apostles and prophets and that it is compatible with the most fraternal regard to the best good of those servants whom god may have committed to our charge the new school presbyterian church in petersburg virginia november sixteenth eighteen thirty eight passed the following whereas the general assembly did in the year eighteen eighteen pass a law which contains provisions for slaves irreconcilable with our civil institutions and solemnly declaring slavery to be sin against god a law at once offensive and insulting to the whole southern community one resolved that as slaveholders we cannot consent longer to remain in connection with any church where there exists a statute conferring the right upon slaves to arraign their masters before the judicatory of the church and that too for the act of selling them without their consent first had been obtained two resolved 
that as the great head of the church has recognized the relation of master and slave we conscientiously believe that slavery is not a sin against god as declared by the general assembly this sufficiently indicates the opinion of the southern presbyterian church the next extracts will refer to the opinions of baptist churches in eighteen thirty five the charleston baptist association addressed a memorial to the legislature of south carolina which contains the following the undersigned would further represent that the said association does not consider that the holy scriptures have made the fact of slavery a question of morals at all the divine author of our holy religion in particular found slavery a part of the existing institutions of society with which if not sinful it was not his design to intermeddle but to leave them entirely to the control of men adopting this therefore as one of the allowed arrangements of society he made it the province of his religion only to prescribe the reciprocal duties of the relation the question it is believed is purely one of political economy it amounts in effect to this whether the operatives of a country shall be bought and sold and themselves become property as in this state or whether they shall be hirelings and their labor only become property as in some other states in other words whether an employer may buy the whole time of laborers at once of those who have a right to dispose of it with a permanent relation of protection and care over them or whether he shall be restricted to buy it in certain portions only subject to their control and with no such permanent relation of care and protection the right of masters to dispose of the time of their slaves has been distinctly recognized by the creator of all things who is surely at liberty to vest the right of property over any object in whomsoever he pleases that the lawful possessor should retain this right at will is no more against the laws of society and good morals than that he should retain the personal endowments with which his creator has blessed him or the money and lands inherited from his ancestors or acquired by his industry and neither society nor individuals have any more authority to demand a relinquishment without an equivalent in the one case than in the other as it is a question purely of political economy and one which in this country is reserved to the cognizance of the state government severally it is further believed that the state of south carolina alone has the right to regulate the existence and condition of slavery within her territorial limits and we should resist to the utmost every invasion of this right come from what quarter and under what pretense it may the methodist church is in some respects peculiarly situated upon this subject because its constitution and book of discipline contain the most vehement denunciations against slavery of which language is capable and the most stringent requisitions that all members shall be disciplined for the holding of slaves and these denunciations and requisitions have been reaffirmed by its general conference it seemed to be necessary therefore for the southern conference to take some notice of this fact which they did with great coolness and distinctness as follows the georgia annual conference resolved unanimously that whereas there is a clause in the discipline of our church which states that we are as much as ever convinced of the great evil of slavery and whereas the said clause has been perverted by some and used in such a manner as to produce the impression that the methodist episcopal church believed slavery to be a moral evil therefore resolved 
that it is the sense of the georgia annual conference that slavery as it exists in the united states is not a moral evil resolved that we view slavery as a civil and domestic institution and one with which as ministers of christ we have nothing to do further than to ameliorate the condition of the slave by endeavoring to impart to him and his master the benign influence of the religion of christ and aiding both on their way to heaven on motion it was resolved unanimously that the georgia annual conference regard with feelings of profound respect and approbation the dignified course pursued by our several superintendents or bishops in suppressing the attempts that have been made by various individuals to get up and protract an excitement in the churches and country on the subject of abolitionism resolved further that they shall have our cordial and zealous support in sustaining them in the ground they have taken south carolina conference the rev w martin introduced resolutions similar to those of the georgia conference the rev w capers d d after expressing his conviction that the sentiment of the resolutions was universally held not only by the ministers of that conference but of the whole south and after stating that the only true doctrine was it belongs to caesar and not to the church offered the following as a substitute whereas we hold that the subject of slavery in these united states is not one proper for the action of the church but is exclusively appropriate to the civil authorities therefore resolved that this conference will not intermeddle with it further than to express our regret that it has ever been introduced in any form into any one of the judicatories of the church brother martin accepted the substitute brother betts asked whether the substitute was intended as implying that slavery as it exists among us was not a moral evil he understood it as equivalent to such a declaration brother capers explained that his intention was to convey that sentiment fully and unequivocally and that he had chosen the form of the substitute for the purpose not only of reproving some wrong doings at the north but with reference also to the general conference if slavery were a moral evil that is sinful the church would be bound to take cognizance of it but our affirmation is that it is not a matter for her jurisdiction but is exclusively appropriate to the civil government and of course not sinful the substitute was then unanimously adopted in eighteen thirty six an episcopal clergyman in north carolina of the name of freeman preached in the presence of his bishop rev levi s ives d d a native of a free state two sermons on the rights and duties of slaveholders in these he essayed to justify from the bible the slavery of both white men and negroes and insisted that without a new revelation from heaven no man was authorized to pronounce slavery wrong the sermons were printed in a pamphlet prefaced with a letter to mr freeman from the bishop of north carolina declaring that he had listened with most unfeigned pleasure to his discourses and advised their publication as being urgently called for at the present time the protestant episcopal society for the advancement of christianity in south carolina thought it expedient to republish mr freeman's pamphlet as a religious tract afterwards when the addition of the new state of texas made it important to organize the episcopal church there this mr freeman was made bishop of texas the question may now arise 
it must arise to every intelligent thinker in christendom can it be possible that american slavery as defined by its laws and the decisions of its courts including all the horrible abuses that the laws recognize and sanction is considered to be a right and proper institution do these christians merely recognize the relation of slavery in the abstract as one that under proper legislation might be made a good one or do they justify it as it actually exists in america it is a fact that there is a large party at the south who justify not only slavery in the abstract but slavery just as it exists in america in whole and in part in even its worst abuses there are four legalized parts or results of the system which are of a special atrocity they are one the prohibition of the testimony of colored people in cases of trial two the forbidding of education three the internal slave trade four the consequent separation of families we shall bring evidence to show that every one of these practices has been either defended on principle or recognized without condemnation by decisions of judicatories of churches or by writings of influential clergymen without any expression of dissent being made to their opinions by the bodies to which they belong in the first place the exclusion of colored testimony in the church in eighteen forty the general conference of the methodist episcopal church passed the following resolution that it is inexpedient and unjustifiable for any preacher to permit colored persons to give testimony against white persons in any state where they are denied that privilege by law this was before the methodist church had separated on the question of slavery and they subsequently did into northern and southern conferences both northern and southern members voted for this resolution after this was passed the conscience of many northern ministers was aroused and they called for a reconsideration the southern members imperiously demanded that it should remain as a compromise and test of union the spirit of the discussion may be inferred from one extract mr peck of new york who moved the reconsideration of the resolution thus expressed himself that the resolution said he was introduced under peculiar circumstances during considerable excitement and he went for it as a peace offering to the south without sufficiently reflecting upon the precise import of its phraseology but after a little deliberation he was sorry and he had been sorry but once and that was all the time he was convinced that if that resolution remained upon the journal it would be disastrous to the whole northern church rev dr a j few of georgia the mover of the original resolution then rose the following extracts are from his speech look at it what do you declare to us in taking this course why simply as much as to say quote, we cannot sustain you in the condition which you cannot avoid end quote. we cannot sustain you in the necessary conditions of slaveholding one of its necessary conditions being the rejection of negro testimony if it is not sinful to hold slaves under all circumstances it is not sinful to hold them in the only condition and under the only circumstances which they can be held the rejection of negro testimony is one of the necessary circumstances under which slaveholding can exist indeed it is utterly impossible for it to exist without it 
therefore it is not sinful to hold slaves in the condition and under the circumstances which they are held at the south inasmuch as they can be held under no other circumstances if you believe that slaveholding is necessarily sinful come out with the abolitionists and honestly say so if you believe that slaveholding is necessarily sinful you believe we are necessarily sinners and if so come out and honestly declare it and let us leave you we want to know distinctly precisely and honestly the position which you take we cannot be tampered with by you any longer we have had enough of it we are tired of your sickly sympathies if you are not opposed to the principles which it involves unite with us like honest men and go home and boldly meet the consequences we say again you are responsible for this state of things for it is you who have driven us to the alarming point where we find ourselves you have made that resolution absolutely necessary to the quiet of the south but you now revoke that resolution and you pass the rubicon let me not be misunderstood i say you pass the rubicon if you revoke you revoke the principle which that resolution involves and you array the whole south against you and we must separate if you accord to the principles which it involves arising from the necessity of the case stick by it quote, though the heavens perish end quote. but if you persist on reconsideration i ask in what light will your course be regarded in the south what will be the conclusion there in reference to it why that you cannot sustain us as long as we hold slaves it will declare in the face of the sun quote, we cannot sustain you gentlemen while you retain your slaves end quote. your opposition to the resolution is based on your opposition to slavery you cannot therefore maintain your consistency unless you come out with the abolitionists and condemn us at once and forever or else refuse to reconsider the resolution was therefore left in force with another resolution appended to it expressing the undiminished regard of the general conference for the colored population it is quite evident that it was undiminished for the best of reasons that the colored population were not properly impressed with this last act of condescension appears from the fact that quote, the official members of the sharp street and asbury colored methodist church in baltimore end quote, protested and petitioned against the motion the following is a passage from their address the adoption of such a resolution by our highest ecclesiastical judicatory a judicatory composed of the most experienced and wisest brethren in the church the choice selection of twenty-eight annual conferences has inflicted we fear an irreparable injury upon eighty thousand souls for whom christ died souls who by this act of your body have been stripped of the dignity of christians degraded in the scale of humanity and treated as criminals for no other reason than the color of their skin your resolution has in our humble opinion virtually declared that a mere physical peculiarity the handiwork of our all-wise and benevolent creator is prima facie evidence of incompetency to tell the truth or is an unerring indication of unworthiness to bear testimony against a fellow-being whose skin is denominated white brethren out of the abundance of the heart we have spoken our grievance is before you if you have any regard for the salvation of the eighty thousand immortal souls committed to your care 
if you would not thrust beyond the pale of the church twenty-five hundred souls in this city who have felt determined never to leave the church that has nourished and brought them up if you regard us as children of one common father and can upon reflection sympathize with us as members of the body of christ if you would not incur the fearful the tremendous responsibility of offending not only one but many thousands of his quote, little ones end quote, we conjure you to wipe from your journal the odious resolution which is ruining our people quote, a colored baltimorean end quote, writing to the editor of zion's watchman says the address was presented to one of the secretaries a delegate of the baltimore conference and subsequently given by him to the bishops how many of the members of the conference saw it i know not one thing is certain it was not read to the conference with regard to the second head of defending the laws which prevent the slave from being taught to read and write we have the following instance in the year eighteen thirty five the chillicothe presbytery ohio addressed a christian remonstrance to the presbytery of mississippi on the subject of slavery in which they specifically enumerated the respects in which they considered it to be unchristian the eighth resolution was as follows that any member of our church who shall advocate or speak in favor of such laws as have been or may yet be enacted for the purpose of keeping the slaves in ignorance and preventing them from learning to read the word of god is guilty of a great sin and ought to be dealt with as for other scandalous crimes this remonstrance was answered by rev james smiley stated clerk of the mississippi presbytery and afterwards of the amity presbytery of louisiana in a pamphlet of eighty-seven pages in which he defended slavery generally and particularly in the same manner in which all other abuses have always been defended by the word of god the tenth section of this pamphlet is devoted to the defense of this law he devotes seven pages of fine print to this subject he says page sixty three there are laws existing in both states mississippi and louisiana accompanied with heavy penal sanctions prohibiting the teaching of the slaves to read and meeting the approbation of the religious part of the reflecting community he adds still further the laws preventing the slaves from learning to read are a fruitful source of much ignorance and immorality among the slaves the printing publishing and circulating of abolition and emancipatory principles in those states was the cause of the passage of those laws he then goes on to say that the ignorance and vice which are the consequence of those laws do not properly belong to those who made the laws but to those whose emancipating doctrines rendered them necessary speaking of these consequences of ignorance and vice he says upon whom must they be saddled if you will allow me to answer the question i will answer by saying upon such great and good men as john wesley jonathan edwards bishop portius paley horsley scott clark wilberforce sharp clarkson fox johnson burke and other great and good men who without examining the word of god have concluded that it is a true maxim that slavery is in itself sinful he then illustrates the necessity of these laws by the following simile he supposes that the doctrine had been promulgated that the authority of parents was an unjust usurpation and that it was getting a general hold of society that societies were being formed for the emancipation of children from the control of their parents 
that all books were beginning to be pervaded by this sentiment, and that under all these influences children were becoming restless and fractious. He supposes that, under these circumstances, parents meet and refer the subject to legislators. He thus describes the dilemma of the legislators. These meet, and they take the subject seriously and solemnly into consideration. On the one hand, they perceive that, if their children had access to these doctrines, they were ruined forever. To let them have access to them was unavoidable, if they taught them to read. To prevent their being taught to read was cruel, and would prevent them from obtaining as much knowledge of the laws of heaven as otherwise they might enjoy. In this sad dilemma, sitting and consulting in a legislative capacity, they must, of two evils, choose the least. With indignant feelings toward those who, under the influence of, quote, seducing spirits, end quote, had sent and were sending among them, quote, doctrines of devils, end quote, but with aching hearts toward their children, they resolved that their children should not be taught to read, until the storm should be overblown hoping that Satan's being let loose will be but for a little season. And during this season they will have to teach them orally, and thereby guard against their being contaminated by these wicked doctrines. So much for that law. End of Part 4 Chapter 1